I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bacchus in repose, he delights in fragrant liquid detente. No moderation dwells within his downpipe, his cornucopia is boundless, his buds tasteful, his gullet ever unquenched. He is Ollie Smith. Ollie Smith, the wine expert, the greatest palate in, 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 in Christendom. <laughs> <laughs> Great yeah. in Christendom. Everything to excess. Apparently, yeah. that's great. That's Cheers. you. Yeah, what yeah a fantastic. The, the living Bacchus. I love that idea. Yeah, just riding around in a chariot, being fed booze, causing a rumpus. Isn't that what you do? Pretty much. Yes, Jim. <laughs> Uh, and are you like when he says like backers? Are you do you have uh, fountains with wine coming out of them? Great gullies leading to sort of um, <laughs> stone baths that I, you sort of bathe in. I want that. Mm. I really want that. I want my house to be a shrine to pleasure. And so I want a you tap. To, yeah, tap. You've got, so you got boiling hot tea water and another one that supplies whatever wine you want from your cellar. Oh, that'd be great. And you could blend them as you go. You could blend your bespoke yes. wine into your glass depending on your mood. I love this idea. We could call it the wine hose. <laughs> now there's the a wine thing, hose. Yeah. Very good. There is a place in. I think it might be Bruges. I think it is where the idea is you can pay a local brewery to get pipes direct from the brewery to your house to feed you your favourite beer. And I think you subscribe for life. This may just be a dream I've had now that I'm saying it out loud. No, I think you're right, yeah. Because I've been in... I was travelling through a wine region, which I can't remember which it was, but it was a shed, a garage, if you like, with great big vats of fine, like Chablis. Oh, I like this. And there was old women with buckets... Get, filling up the buckets from the huge, a very fine wine, just for daily use. I think there's something in this. The idea of serving wine, you know, that's amazing, just really informally. Like I love being on holiday. Wine in a beaker, any type of wine, always makes me feel like I'm having a great time. Yes. And I think when you do have like really amazing wine, it's almost an, an excuse to have something really filthy alongside it. So fizz with chips, or really amazing red wine with just thinking. That that's the sort of combination yeah. I'm. Yeah, after. so I quite. If somebody said to me, a friend of mine who's great, sort of huge, sort of uh, wine man, he said, "Oh, what you want?" He said, "With the grandest wines, you want the simplest of foods." Yes. So you'd often find him having a bit of cheese on toast there yes. with yeah. the sort of sixty-one Latours. I think yeah, it was. Yeah. Well, oh, absolutely. But I like the idea of what 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 are you having with this wine? Some thoughts. Some thoughts. Nice. I like that. Yeah, some thought. I actually was on a cruise ship last week, and I met a guy who was hundred and one years of age. And I said to him, listen, I can't let this opportunity go by. You're in my wine bar. Here I am sharing a glass with you. I've got to ask, what is the one piece of vital information you would pass on to me in my middle years? And he looked me up and down and he said, have you got a record player? 
I said, yes, I have. He said, Frank Sinatra, Count Basie, live at the Sands with a glass of red wine. It cannot be beat. The pinnacle of human achievement. And I hadn't really heard the record in ages. So on the way home, I was listening to it, got myself a glass of red. And I thought, you know what? I love the idea that what he was expressing was just go out and enjoy the moment, the live moment, the real moment, with a glass of whatever you fancy. And yes, I thought, what a quite, dude, what quite, a legend. What a great thing to do, yeah. Yes. And that is a great record. He's, he's it's pretty young. But isn't it great that you're of that age, right? And he's, tra- he's still travelling. He's on a yeah. cruise ship having the time of his life. Yeah. He's attributing his longevity to a passion for live music and a glass of red wine. And he's full of the joys. I thought, wow, Yes, that's... I think that's right. Enjoy yourself and things are better, you know. Totally, that's right, yeah. every yeah. time. So yeah. you go, you go and cruise ships a lot yeah Telling... i do i do i've got wine bars on PO cruises so i do yeah i was just on the uh, the maiden friona going up to scotland and it's it's a beautiful ship i mean she's got f- sort of three or four decks of glass around the atrium so it's kind of like bringing the outside in you've got these incredible widescreen views in this case of the scottish islands dolphins were frolicking around i mean it was so idyllic you know and there's me swanning around with my wine hose gushing all over everyone so, with a, but how big was the hose? What sort of what sort of opening on the nozzle have you got? On the your nozzle. Wine hose? Well, I think we should have like a, a spray to reach mm. the widest number of people as as we can. And let the let the wine breathe as well. <laughs> exactly, Jules. I uh, go for Saga. It's so lovely, so relaxing. In fact, I think we should get Jim on there. I think you'd they, yeah. they'd love you. Well, I could go on with you, Ollie, and you could just give me the wine, and you could see the effect. <laughs> yes. so, Do you know what? Because <laughs> I've literally wind me up, and I will go. Yeah, but do you think that would be quite interesting to see the effects? In other words, like, you know, if you look into the window of a big department store and they'd have a living room set up there. So you'd have a sort of a living room set up with you in it and just being given wine and people would just observe you and how you behaved. Yeah. I think that would be quite nice. I'd watch that. Can you operate a piano after, let's say, two bottles of wine? No. I wouldn't operate heavy machinery, a motor vehicle, or a musical instrument after too much. It's an interesting thing, though, because the drinking song and the drink that goes with various types of music. I remember being in Nashville and being amazed at the kind of, you know, the bourbon and the story of lost love and that kind of reflective moment. There are there are sort of combinations that seem to find each other in music and booze. But I I think Jules is right. I think so, surely too much of it, and you're just shambling around like Oliver Reed at a, a, a barnyard disco uh, yes I, I think in the actual when it comes to the physical playing of it you want to be have a pretty clear head I think but once you're listening to it that's a different thing altogether so I would for instance uh, especially what you've said earlier I really like this what you're going to pair your wines with yeah. I did actually the other evening that's I a- had some Italian some, some Tignello very delicious Italian wine so I, and, I, and also because I knew that night we were having some spaghetti yeah. so I put on a little bit of 1930s Italian opera music Oh, to make the whole thing yeah. and I even found a little red and white checkered tablecloth on top of the card table there yeah that's right and so I like to get you know it's nice to put all the things together I think it totally and, is and each thing each thing then tasted and sounded better it's proper time travel liquid time travel you're travelling with your ears you're connecting more deeply with the artist in the moment it's, it's truly extraordinary and wine does this as well it's a, it is a literally a portal to another place and time in liquid form. It was made somewhere else. Let's say it's 1975. Yes. You've got um, wings. Oh, my goodness. Band on the run, maybe, something like that. Oh, I see. You've got some pineapple rings, cubes of cheese and uh, ham. What do you drink? I I would try and find a hobbyist... British Vineyard to pair with that from 75 because Fizz keeps really well and it would be intriguing to taste something from that era that was probably not made that professionally but that probably has 
incredible character, loads of personality, and was as daring and as unexpected maybe as Batman. And was there anything around then? Yeah, absolutely. I and mean, the real Renaissance happened in the 50s in Hampshire. But before then, you know, we were growing grapes in this country right back to Roman times. They were they kicked it off. But it was it was lost and found. Monasteries kind of did it a bit. But it was really since the 50s when it started again. And now, since the 90s, we're seeing the most extraordinary Renaissance, the most wonderful time of innovation of skill and I just always reflect on this I think look if you gave me 20 quid and said here's some squishy juice in a pint glass can you give it back to me in five years and make it taste nice I don't know what I'd do I'd lose my mind immediately so what you're saying is actually the people the way you're describing it is that these English winemakers are turning lead into gold almost they are they really are we're in a marginal climate which has its benefit if you want to make edgy character for wines but it's really tricky so places that have done this successfully in the past would be you know, New Zealand, you know, Marlborough and in the south in Otago, and now they've got the name for themselves, and I think we're going to do the same. Now, the last time I saw you, Ollie, mm. you were at my house, and yes. we opened a very nice old bottle. It was 82, very, yeah. 1982, and I thought it was going to be rank, and it did turn out to be rank, but mm. the first moments we opened it, it was really nice, and yeah. there was probably one glass out of it that yeah. was worthwhile, and it went off. I didn't know wine did that. It went off in about 15 minutes. That's it. I remember when we, you were going to open it very kindly, a Chablis, and I said, look, we're going to have to work fast because this stuff literally, because it's, it's, it's so frail and fragile. It's, it's like us when we're kind of 101. If you, know, if you tumble us into a wine glass, we're going to be a bit brittle. So as soon as you've poured it, older wines, they do tend to vanish quite quickly. So you've got to, yeah, make heavy wine. I mean, the best wines have a longer life, don't they? They do. And if you have a really amazing year, like there's, you know, the legendary moments like 1945, I think is, is one of them. And, and even further back, then they are reputed to live really well. 1953 Margot is another example that everybody kind of goes for. But I, I kind of think almost, yes, those are, are sort of grail wines and they're interesting and they, you know, they're, they're fascinating. But if you really want to taste old wine, the stuff to go for is fortified wine like Madeira, because it's already mm. oxidized, it's bulletproof and it can live, it can outlive us, it can live forever. I've, I've had that stuff from the 1800s and even like brandies and stuff like that. I remember being given a little sample by a bloke called David Baker, who's a, who's a real kind of senior citizen in the world of very, very fiery booze. He gave me an 1805 t- little tipple of a cognac. Oh. And I remember thinking, hang on a sec, this is Trafalgar. This is yeah. actually yeah. Trafalgar yeah. juice. This is like, when they were doing that, the sun was hitting these grapes when they were living just north of that battle. This is extraordinary. And the amazing thing about it was it didn't taste old or saggy or musty. It was vibrant. It was like someone had put 50 volts through a pineapple. I loved it. And I think those wines that can live, whether they're fortified or distilled, as they get more scarce, they vanish. And you need to know someone like David, who's very kind and occasionally opens like a small lighter, a little tiny capsule amount of it, just tips it into a thimble and you think, well, that's all you want just for that, that yeah, moment, isn't it? That's all you yes. need. It's yes. incredible. Are you a keen transport person? Do you like travelling around? I love travelling more than anything. I love the people you meet, the vistas going past. And actually, Jules, inadvertently, you were responsible for me buying my first classic car, which you don't know. But my head wine host in one of my wine bars once upon a time ago said to me you should drive a rover p5b coupe you know like jules holland's got and i said i i 
don't know the car, I don't know what it is. And I believe the story goes that you did have one. And I kind of got interested in them. I kind of drove a couple, thought they looked amazing with the Buick engines, fantastic. And in the end, I did track one down. And I got it from a, a wonderful guy in Wales. And I'll never forget the transaction. It was after a gig I'd done in Manchester, middle of the night, driven the car around. And I said, you know, I really want to buy the car. And he said, well, I've had a lot of interest from people in Germany, from people in America. But I remember that evening very clearly. He, he looked me in the eye and he said, I, you know, I'd like to buy the car. And he said, well, I don't know if I want to sell it to you yet because oh. I don't know if I like you. And I thought, well, I like I, that's a really intriguing thing to say yeah. to someone. I was like, okay, cool. Um, how do, what, what do you want me to do? And he said, well, let's go for a drive. Let's find out how much I like you. And if I like you. Oh, this sounds a I'll bit saucy. Well, it could <laughs> be, Jim. <laughs> Unfortunately, my luck in that regard was out that night. <laughs> but he did eventually. We sat at his kitchen table and he looked at me and he said, well, I've decided that, um, that I do like you. And I will sell you the car. So I transferred the cash into his account. I'll never forget. He was at his computer and he said, Margaret! We're rich. <laughs> We're going to have a Chinese. And it was just an epic moment of transaction. And I've stayed in touch with him. And I love that car. I call it, the, he called it Daisy because I remember it's D-U-K, but I call it the Duke. And I roll around in it and I always listen to Jimmy Cliff. It's a hard roll. What, you still got it now? Oh yeah, one is CD. It, is it in Zircon Blue? It's not Zircon. Oh, no. I love the Zircon. It's in Silver Birch and then the grey, the lovely, it's got the dark roof and then the kind of the, oh, uh, oh, the crazy beautiful and then black and the headrest in the back. Oh, lovely. Full toolkit. And is it, yeah. oh, so she runs well? Sweetly. She does, yeah. Jim. Because really it is does. luxury, isn't it? It's a luxury yes. car. You know, I get the picnic tables down, you know, I pick people up from the station, couple of glasses of fizz. It's, you're right, Jim, it's luxury. I mean, that's yes. the thing that you don't get in a modern vehicle, which is really useful, is a picnic table. Too right. Mine came with a big history file, which I pour over. And I love, like, reading about where it went, you know, how it was serviced, what the other owners did to it. And I kind of, you know, it's a dream, really. You'll lay it in like the strata of other people's lives. It's just, it's bonded into the fabric of the car. And it's, uh, that again, on a human level, just families and stories coinciding. It's what it's a wonderful thing to share momentarily in the history of the wagon. What was the first vehicle, do you remember? Yes. Oh, yes, you don't so, yeah because you let's let, look let's be clear we don't start with the rover p5 that's we, something we something that we work up to yeah. um but where did you so where did you start so i first the first car that i properly fell in love with and that i actually owned was a volkswagen golf gls silver with um kind of blue fabric interior and i loved it it was probably an early 80s late 70s maybe model um mark one and i remember it distinctly because my dad gave it to my brother and my brother sold it to me for 500 quid. Oh, I yes. remember thinking, yeah. And at the time, my brother and I were living in a, in a little place in, um, in a kind of shared house in Middleton Square in, in, in Islington. And having, you know, having an interesting time in a house full of you know, great characters all going off and doing interesting things at the beginning of their lives. I remember driving off from their 500 quid light off to my life in, in Scotland for a while. But I had the most wonderful feeling of freedom. And that car gave me, you know, the cassette deck, the you know, listening to things you know of the time like Dire Straits Brothers in Arms and Now 2 and all of that stuff that was just floating in the ether I just yeah that was a car that I really regret selling actually and I remember having to sell it to, to live really at, um, when I was at uni you didn't sell it back to your brother no but I wish I had mm. <laughs> I wish, no I sold it for 250 quid I remember thinking oh it does pain me that because that, that's one of the cars that got away but um, but the first car I really coveted that was on my kind of wall as a kid was a 308 a Ferrari 308 in navy metallic dark navy metallic oh. yeah and I, I just loved the look of it and you know it was the time when the kind of in the Bond films he, Roger Moore was driving Lotus Esprit Turbos so they kind of figured in there as well so well, you had a poster of a car on your bedroom I wall. did yeah and uh, I, I, yeah I had cars um, what else I have on my bedroom wall oh, it depends which age range Roger Moore 
Well, yeah, I probably had Rog on there. And I, you know, I, I, yes, in fact, I almost certainly did. And then getting to know him in later life. Did was, you? Yeah, yeah. I did a... So he nearly died, very sadly, of a, of a heart complication on stage. And my friend Dan was an animator. And he was really concerned that Roger Moore was going to die before I'd had the chance to meet him. Because, you know, he's a great kind of hero of mine. So he wrote this little animation called Roger Moore's Requiem, which I think you can still find online, to Verdi's Requiem. And it basically showed what would happen to Sir Roger Moore's soul if he died without first meeting me. And, and let me tell you, it was, it was a terrifying image. But Rog saw it from his hospital bed and was tickled pink. So he got in touch and reached out to Dan. And I mean, I've never jumped on a friend harder than that, riding Dan's lapels, breathing so hard into his face. as I said, we have to meet Roger Moore. And so we got in touch and we said, look, why don't we do an animation for UNICEF? You know, you uh, obviously work very hard for the charity. And he said, well, yeah, I'm recovering, you know, feel free to pop over to Monte Carlo. It sounds great, lads. Well, we were on the next plane. And seconds into meeting him, he'd been my hero for being Bond and the Saint and all the rest of it. But he was just such a down-to-earth, lovely man. And he talked immediately about, you know, the work he did for UNICEF, wanting to help people with goiter, who suffered from AIDS, who, you know, education for girls, all of the stuff that came out of his mouth made me think, you totally are my hero, but for all the right reasons and for none of the former kind of, you know, stuff, the persuaders and all, I love all that still, but just the man, what a beautiful soul he was. And I did get to know him, loved a glass of Sancerre. He always used to tell me about this legendary trip he did with Michael Caine and Leslie Bricus on holiday, driving through the Loire Valley, basically having a, a really wonderful time drinking lashings of wine. Oh, I'd love to have been just trapped in the boot for that one. That would have been epic. Ah, lovely. Yeah. What a lovely idea. What a lovely what? idea. Roger, he was wonderful. What did you have on your bed? Did you have any cars on your bedroom wall? Well, they say you are who you've got on your bedroom wall, don't they? I had a picture of Arthur Lowe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I applaud that. <laughs> I did have pictures of cars, actually. And I had a diorama. Ooh. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so I think I had a garage with various vehicles laid out. Yeah. Uh, in in what would be their know, positions. Their positions. Once yeah. I had my mine was diorama. full of air model airfix aeroplanes yeah. everywhere, all over the place, which was horrific for me mother who had to dust them. But I had a poster of Jim Clark. Oh, nice. And Apollo 11. Oh, yes. Before mm. it got then started getting overtaken with Roxy Music and various things, yeah. stuff like that, uh, Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, I did also, I think it must have been about 1972, you could bring up, there was a General Motors dealer called, I think they were called Lendrum and Hartnum, something like that, in Berkeley Square or something like that. And I put a put on was, hello, I'm interested in buying a new Buick or Cadillac. Could you send me the brochure, please? And they say, yes, certainly, little, certainly, Sonny. Where should we send it to? And they sent me, I think they realised I was just a lad who was interested, and they sent me the, bro- the 1972 brochures for the sort of Cadillac Eldorado and the, and the boat tail Buick. And those cars at that time, I mean, vast, gas-guzzling sort of monsters they were, photographed with people leading very glamorous brochure mm. lifestyles, much more glamorous. I mean, with the Humber and the Rover, you might have a man with a slight wisp of grey hair showing his senior management credentials, <laughs> and maybe a slightly younger wife, and they're just coming out of a thing with a dinner jacket, you know, they're just saying. The American ones, they were so glamorous, the people, and the width of their lapels was greater than anybody had ever seen. It made the Sweeney look like sort of pygmy lapels and their ties and they were people like Macmillan and wife or whoever the people on the TV at the time were but shot in such a way that was so glamorous it was a lifestyle that you couldn't believe so I lived in those brochures for a while imagining that if I had one of those cars I would be living that life and I had some American cars but they were all much older than that Mm. rather nice big sort of 
Studebakers and all that, you know, mm. I was driving along Route 66 filming a beer show a long time ago. And I remember the, it was a, it was a sad story actually. It was a, the owner of the car, his wife wasn't very well and he was trying to sell the car to, to fund treatment for his wife. I remember we'd rented the car to, you know, to shoot this piece. And my favorite memory of the whole thing was just seeing his face driving along Route 66 as I, I had to kind of hide in the back for a drone shot, I think, and I was covered in a picnic towel. And if you look really carefully in it, you can just see me wriggling around and, you know, God knows what I'm doing under there. But I remember his face just absolutely lighting up like he was eight years old, playing with a dinky toy in the back garden, which is what I kind of, you know, remember that my first moments with cars, dreaming of the stunts and the tricks they could do. And yeah, for a moment, you know, together, he was free of his free of his troubles and embracing that huge wide sky above his car it was yeah. epic <clears throat> epic I'd some... like to do that I yes. really would like, you know, I've never done it we never quite know what's going to happen on the road in the States I remember one of the strangest moments I was driving late filming we were driving into Nashville and I remember getting closer and closer to the kind of strip where all the bars are and the neon was just bleeding into my my gaze and I was just completely overwhelmed. It was like somebody just melted a billion lurid lollipops from 1981 all at the same time into the sky. And I was trying to make sense of all of that, all of the kind of soundscape that was pouring out of the bars, the, the general hubbub of people all around. And then to crown it all, there was this bloke dressed as a full cowboy riding his horse at me in the street. Hmm. And I thought, okay, yeah, this is Nashville. This is amazing. And I spent the most beautiful few days there, rolling in and out of bars, learning about just how extraordinary life can be. I love hmm. the States. I, I just think the... And what, what, were, you, what were you travelling around in there? I think, I, I think for that, I was riding a, a bus. I think I borrowed a bus off a mate in Portland, like an enormous... GMC bus, I think, with an awning on the side that we used for kind of picnic shots. So it, it was completely, it was like an enormous great thing thinking back. So yeah, it's a very hazy memory, but I, I, I have very joyful memories of all the different corners of the States and arriving in different ways. And it, it's it's unique, you know, what you're driving and where you're driving into, it sticks yeah, with yeah. you. But totally. it is nice to do that thing, you know, like you are driving, riding in something that's iconic. Yeah that you've seen in a film. I yeah. remember the first time I went to New York, I thought, this is, I'm in a movie. Yeah, movie cars are a whole other thing as well. I, I, last year I drove the Aston Martin DB5. You know, they did that replica, the Goldfinger replica with all of the guns, the smoke, the bulletproof shield. I think it's cost like three million quid and there's one you can buy to go on the road. The rest of them, I think, they just sell them to put in people's piano bars. I don't know. I don't know what the extremely wealthy would do with it. But I remember driving it along and thinking, this is so extraordinary because it is everything in it is as in the movie and it's meticulous and to actually engineer that on one car is incredible but it was a very modern handling on on the vehicle so rather than driving around in a great big sort of floaty boat of a car it was far more defined and I, I just felt this um yeah like in a way it was a shame that I was just driving to Milton Keynes because where I should have been driving to was of course over was it the Gotthard Pass I think in Goldfinger or something mm. like that some epic alpine backdrop yeah exactly yeah but yeah I was just off to Milton but, Keynes but that's, that's, that's oft, so often the way of it isn't it Hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Have you ever been on any, on any very dangerous roads? Oh, I've had danger, Jim. I've had serious danger. Can I go off the road for a, for a dangerous tale? Yeah. Can I go boating? Because yeah. there was a very dangerous moment when I was, I was out off the coast of South Australia in the, in the Great Southern. And we were filming this thing about great white sharks because it was my big terror in life was, was great white sharks. So hang on, why did you go and go, and go near them? Because they, get paid, over it? They, they paid me. Um, <laughs> I was, you know, it was ITV and I thought, yeah. I, and there was actually seriously a bit of me that thought I really should try and confront it because I hadn't swum out of my depth as, a, as an adult really my whole life. And they put the shark cage in. No great white sharks came all day. The weather was getting up. You know, I hadn't even got in the cage and the camera crew said, the director said, right, let's just get in. We'll film something underwater. We've just got to get something. Come on, Ollie. And so I do my piece to camera and I'm like, well, here I am, you know, about to go in the cage. I've been marinating myself in wine for 40 odd years. So if these great big sharks don't fancy that, well, I don't know what they will. And off I get into the cage. And literally as I get in, a great white shark the size of a 73 bus just cruises so close to the cage. And you can still see it. It's... It was it it was so frightening, and yet the fear dissolved relatively quickly into a serenity, and I I admired just how tranquil that beast was, just moving along. I didn't see it as a monster. I just saw it as a as a as something that it was such a privilege and joy to see so close in the wild. And then I hopped out, and they said, "The sea's getting up. We've got to get back to port." And this this these two captains I was with, they were really cool, collected young Aussies. You know, Aussies very rarely show any kind of fear at all and as we went back I remember we were with another boat the sea really got high I remember we were quite close to the other boat and the waves were so big that we couldn't see it when we were pitching up and down so everybody on my boat was getting really ill I thought okay I'm going to deploy my fail-safe seasickness cure which is to listen to the Beatles at high volume it's 100% successful great tip if you ever need to know and the happier the song the better love me do you know that all the early stuff it will cure you. So I was the only person on the ship who didn't puke. And as we're going along, there was one massive wave that totaled us. And the two captains stopped talking and went ashen white. And then began again. And when we hit shore, I said, just out of interest, lads, when that wave hit and you stopped talking, was that just you concentrating? And they said, no, we, we, we thought the ship might go down. And it was, it was the closest oh. I've ever been to, to going knowing down that, in shark infested yeah. water Jules Holland which that's is, exactly the which point is, which is what you would also which is your greatest fear My, and I'm the only one not covered in sick so I'm yeah. the only delicious person <laughs> yeah. left oh. I was uh, in uh, in Chester in, this is not as exciting but it's similar I was in Chester doing a, a film and I don't know what it was for but I, I was in a huge tank it was the biggest one in Europe apparently and it had a giant bull shark in oh it. And I was goodness. and I was I had an aqualung on, and I was holding on to the side. And the fella said, "Whatever you do, don't make any movements, or it will go for you." <laughs> and it, and as, it, as it came past, I was clinging onto the side to these rocks, and I could feel the grip starting to. And I started clambering back onto the the rocks on the the wall of this tank, 
And just as the bull shark was coming around, I just started flapping around, waving my arms, like almost <laughs> right in front of its face, saying, why don't you just come and eat me? And my arms were flaming around everywhere, but it just cruised straight by. Nice. And did the, annoying man, did the annoying man say, I told you not to move about? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah they always do that. They always do that. They always do. Interesting, it did, the shark thing, it, it did cure my fear of, of sharks in the water, though. I do now swim. Well, we've got one in a tank next door here. You haven't got a shark yes, in the tank. Oh, you yes, want me to yes, do it now? Is that what yeah, this show's been, say, been when, no, when this show's this? over... So we just want to check, test to see if you're happy to go into yes. the shark with, with with four bull sharks that haven't been fed for a week. A week, okay. Uh, and we you go in there, and we want you to listen to dance to Beatles music oh, yeah. <laughs> in the tank with them and see how it goes. Marvelous. I'm in. I'm 100 in. Just going back to the um, the, the travel of wine. Mm. Hey, some people say, well, like for instance, Guinness. In it is true, really, mm. it's true. Tastes delicious in Dublin, yeah. but doesn't always travel. Like you get it elsewhere. French wine delicious in France, but you, you know, by the time you've got it to California, it might not be so good. Do you, does wine travel? Do you think it can do? They're getting better at preserving it at the right temperatures, and they're getting better also at keeping it out of direct sunlight and keeping it in an order that it will reach you in perfect nick but I, I do think there's something to the idea of enjoying certain flavours where you are so you know I love going to Greece and I love Greek wine as it goes you know they've got a lot of boutique producers small scale really delicious grapes that maybe we don't know that well but it's my kind of pet hobby is, is Greek wine I absolutely love it but I've, I've reached beyond the wine there now and I'm, I'm quite happy when I'm there to dive into a little little puddle of ouzo and even, I'm even going to squeeze myself into a barrel of retsina do you know I, I was I in like Greece the other week a lot like of it. people they say scene how can you drink it but if I'm there I'm there and it's freezing cold yes and I'm sitting in a little Greek island bit of squid then I want it there is one that the, I think the wine society bring in that's less resonated and a bit fresher so Jim if you imagine it's less earwax and more lemon basil mm. I really? think I can yeah, Chateau, I, Chateau it, earwax Chateau, if you have me back on the show I'll bring you a, well, I'll bring a bottle of retsina of good retsina and we can mm. put it to the test well I, yeah. I've got another question another wine question which somebody said some of the great French famous French wines some of grand ones as well were actually Irish and I said, really? He said, yes, because uh, in the Napoleonic Wars, Irish mercenaries was going and fight or whatever, and then after the wars, they were presented as sort of gifts from the state as big vineyards. I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, I mean, Talbot, Chateau Talbot. I said, yeah. He said, well, that's an Irish name, isn't it? Is it? He said, uh, Chateau Mamie. I said, no. you." He said, And then he said, uh, O'Brien. I said, O'Brien? He said, yes, it's O'Brien. It's O'Brien, is it? It is O'Brien, yeah. Is it? Yeah, is that that true? There is truth to it, absolutely. And not just in France. You know, if you think of the port industry, a lot of it is still owned and run by a lot of Brits, you know, because we had a really close relationship with Portugal. I forget which which monarch it was that married Catherine of Braganza, but that formed this great historic alliance. And whenever we were out fighting the French, we'd always kind of nick round the back and stop buying French wine and buy it from Portugal. So there's a lot of English people out there making port, you know, there's, you know, I mean, there's, all around the world, it strikes me that wine is this extraordinary I mean it is it's going to sound ridiculous it's this fluid fluid way of us connecting with each other not just through the liquid but through the business side of it as well and you know whenever I'm in places like Australia I remember I was floating over the Yarra Valley in a hot air balloon and I was expecting it to be really windy up there but of course because you're traveling at the same speed of the wind it's entirely still and I was peering down over all these vineyards and I was thinking of all the people who'd come from all over the world lots of Brits who'd come under you know difficult circumstances who'd made a life for themselves eking out corners and it's really beautifully hilly and you can really see how all the aspects all the facing hills have an impact on the flavors so if you're facing north in the southern hemisphere um, it's going to be uh, it's going to be warmer than it is 
on the southern uh, slope. And so if you've got grapes growing on the southern slope, they're going to be sharper, they're going to be more precise, more defined. Northern slopes are going to be richer. And I was looking down and just thinking of all of this kind of history, this geology, this geography, this commerce, this farming, this these lives over the years that just build, knit and forge these links in the land. And it always fills me with just the greatest thrill, really. And I'm a very small cog in a very large world of booze. I just absolutely love what it is. Get so if you're given a lecture yes. and you're tasting wine, how long before you have to give the lecture up? <laughs> oh, you mean before I have to well, lie I, down? I mean, basically, how much can you drink? How much can I drink? Well, you know, because I've been round your house having a, having a few. I can, I can go okay. You know, I, I would say as the years have gone on, you know, a few glasses, I'm still able to, to hold court. Obviously, if I'm doing a tasting, I'm going to be spitting, so I wouldn't be, you yeah. know, enjoying it. But if you know, if we're out for a few, I mean, it, yeah, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll stand go, by you, Jim. Yeah. Go, yeah, yeah, I'll match. I'll, you'll I'll, go the length. I'll, I'll go. Yes, <laughs> the gauntlet's been tossed down. It has um, now. So uh, is this next door with the sharks? There's going to yeah, be loads exactly. of shots. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We'll take you into the, our cellars um, and uh, see how long you can both last for. <laughs> <laughs> it's. I guess it's something that you know, in the in the booze trade, people don't talk about that much. But the obvious effect of having a few glasses is that you become merry, you become more relaxed, more convivial, there's conversation, etc. And I see it as a positive aspect of it, in obviously in within the confines of moderation, and obviously alcohol addiction is a terrible thing. But I see the I don't see the booze as the the devil that a lot of people are painting it as in in the kind of the, the the days we currently live in. I mean, some people it has a very bad effect. Of, of course, course, they shouldn't yeah. drink. But I on, on the other side of that, I have been in situations. I have I, I was having dinner with some people. I think maybe about fifteen years ago. Yeah. And they, and we didn't really have that much in common. And they brought out this incredibly grand wine. Yeah. As we as we slowly consumed it, each of us became more eloquent and amusing. Yeah, yeah. I certainly did, yeah. and, <laughs> and each of us became were more agreeable, yeah. and each of us became more sort of humane in our thoughts to one another and the world beyond. And it was interesting how the good quality booze had this effect of yeah. lighting us all up and improving us. And I mean, by the end of it, I was absolutely brilliant. You were hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to comment on your shirt, which is a kind of checkered pattern with a sort of futurist cubist picture of London with a London eye, St. Paul's and that. Now, I think I've seen that on a current tube train. I think you could be right. I think this, is, I? this is travel wear of the highest order. This is from Gresham Blake in Brighton. Who I, I love his designs and shirts and I think you're bang on. I think this I is think indeed it, I something we've all the, sat on. The patterns on, that you get on... Yeah on tube trains which you can actually get by now as furniture can you get the kind of textiles can you get you can get the vintage textiles can't yeah, you yeah. which which from, from the london transport museum the material that they would have on buses and trains from the 50s through to the 70s you can buy all that and have it and have it yeah. on your, your I sofa i think you can go further back i think you can get can it from you? the 30s yeah. as well because one of my favorite ones is when the train started to go out into the suburbs when the, the newly created suburbs there's a pattern which is a beautiful sort of futurist design with green leaves on it oh how lovely it love it. The taking you to the old sort of metro yeah. land dream of yeah. tudor beethan england I yeah. love that because there are so many memories like in the 70s I remember my granny in Bournemouth taking me and my brother on the top deck of the yellow double decker buses 
you know, I remember the feel of the kind of the seats and I, I think I think I could pick out the fabric if you flashed it in front of me. But I just remember such happy days, you know, sandwiches on the beach, big thermos of tea that tasted like TCP because she cleaned it out with TCP. But just those, yeah, that would bring back so much. Well, in those days, it would have been the orange, black and yellow stripes. I think it was. Yeah, and that's a great pattern. That's one of my favourites. Ooh. The patterns on those buses and tubes and trains are quite f fantastic yeah and they're, they're texturally pretty kind of oh, or if you're wearing shorts oh yes that yes. Is. Back or, or the just knickers yes well yes and, and I mean, it's particularly I if, you've got, it well. if you've got those sort of if you, and you could then draw I have tattooed on your legs <laughs> yeah. the, the maps of the London Underground or something like that imagine those girls in the 60s mm. in the miniskirts going to Hammersmith Palais and like, getting <laughs> off the bus and they would have like those like red seat marks on the back of the legs yeah. Yes. Well, I'd like to. Yes. Leave, I'd, like to I'd like to. Thank you. I'd like to leave with this thought. Um, in fact, it's a tip. If you're, um, and I won't, I won't reveal who this person was, but somebody of great note came to my house, and it was about sort of half past twelve, one o'clock, lunchtime, sort of thing. No, no about half past twelve. Uh, no, not no, exactly. It was a perfectly reasonable time, and they were sitting there chatting a perfectly reasonable way, and they reached into their pocket, and they pulled out a small tissue opened it up and in that tissue there were some crumbs of rather mouldy cheese and they said well um i, I brought this cheese uh, should, we, should we have some wine with it <laughs> so i then had to go and get a bottle of wine but i thought it was a very good way it's the best prompt. yes yes exactly it's so that's my tip prompt. of how to get um yes exactly how i to thought get... you were going to say they opened a pair of knickers with some cheese in it which should have been, <laughs> which have been on the london underground put these on <laughs> And we'll have some wine. wine. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I think we've probably exercised our manners well enough now, haven't we? I think we've learned a great deal. Yeah. And we've had a lovely tasting and our palates are fully sort of mobilised. Yes. And we've learned a great deal and had a lovely time, haven't we? Well, a marvellous, marvellous picnic. Thank you very much. Ollie Smith. Thank you, Ollie Smith, for joining us. Thank you. Well, there goes Ollie onto his cruise ship, clutching desperately onto a bottle of Paddy McGinty's gut. <laughs> yes, the O'Brien uh, <laughs> wine, which I, I'm so pleased he confirmed that. I've yeah. been wondering about that for years. I'm glad we cleared that up. Yeah. This podcast was produced and edited by Molly Stewart. Sound engineers were James Stewart and George Layton. By the way, the person I didn't want to reveal anything, but the person who okay, came around with that, that? For, it was my dad. Oh. <laughs> Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.